Welcome everyone to the Kim Turner Podcast where we discuss all things 911. I'm excited to start this journey with you. Let's get into it. I'd like to take a moment to have like a little bit of a training segment and a review of real life um, 911 calls. And it's really important to everyone in my audience that we understand it's not to criticize our peers or our colleagues. It's not to second guess responses, policies, or procedures. It's really an opportunity um, for us to learn to say, if this happened in my jurisdiction, would I be prepared? Would I be ready? Um, I believe that there are always training opportunities. There are always way for always ways for all of us uh, to be a little bit better. And often we can learn that vicariously through other events. Uh, in January 4th in Iowa at Perry High School, uh, there was an unfortunate a incident of an active shooter. Unfortunately, um, as we know, looking through statistics and data, I believe year to date, we've had a, uh, our, in 2023, uh, there were over like 365 active shooter events in the United States. That's what, an average of one a day. And we've really adopted a philosophy that it's not if it will happen, it's when it will happen. In my experience, unfortunately, 911 force responders aren't often included in active shooter training, whether it's at schools, businesses, or when our sworn counterparts are doing training. So this is a call to action. If you happen to be sworn and listening to this and you have active shooter training, don't have a role player, have a dispatcher. Have a dispatcher play that role in training. Um, because as we train and we're better and able to perform better, we're able to perform when it really happens. I want to take a moment to play the call from KCSI News Channel 8 and listen to a little bit of the dispatch audio and let's have a conversation with each other. Investigators say the shooter, 17-year-old Dylan Butler, shot and killed himself. Governor Reynolds ordered flags lowered to half-staff through Saturday in support of all those affected. Law enforcement officers arrived within minutes of reports of that shooting. And we now know more about how it developed thanks to police radio dispatch calls during the incident. KCCI senior reporter Todd Magel has been listening to those recordings today. Todd? Stacy and Ben, the dispatch recordings show a calm but very concerned law enforcement effort to deal with this school shooting. The emergency radio traffic began shortly after 7.30, about 7.37 this morning. And what you will hear now is a combination of Dallas County Sheriff dispatchers, deputies, and EMS personnel as the first reports go out. All units, Dallas County. We've got an active Sears activation at Perry High School. Active Sears activation at Perry High School. It's going to be in reference to a possible gunshots, possible gunshots at Perry High School. Start that way. Dallas, one direct. You have access to the cameras. We're getting pulled up now. We got somebody down in the hallway. Copy. We see something on the west top hallway, west hallway. All right, I'm, I'm going to pause it right here. Now there are a couple of things that if you are a 911 first responder, you've picked up on. We have a multi-jurisdiction, multi-agency response. And some of the vulnerabilities that could occur here are inconsistent communication or different um, reporting parties calling in. Are we patching channels? Are we broadcasting on one channel? Do our allied agencies have the ability to patch into our channel or to monitor? So I think that that's the very first thing that we think of, right? The, the next thing that we have to understand is that this school district 
has an activation system, a Sears activation system. Now, my very first thought, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but were the dispatchers trained on this with the school? Did the school district consult the police department before they purchased it so that everyone is on the, on the same um, wavelength here? Perry, Iowa is a very small community. I believe the population is under 10,000. Was this a solo dispatcher? Were there more than one dispatch? Was there more than one dispatcher working? So not only do we have to multitask with callers, dispatching, now we're looking at camera footage. Is that efficient? These are just questions. It's, they aren't criticisms. And I want you to think if this was your center and this call came into your center, what resources do you have? How often do you train in those resources? So this becomes intuitive instead of a, something I have to respond to and think of in the moment. Let's continue the audio. What channel am I switching to? Here's black male subject down in the hallway. Appears to be self-inflicted. Gunshot wound. I'm showing other victims. Now the subject that's down is Deceased. Copy. Subject down. Deceased. Yeah, location. We are outside of room 308. We're going to need multiple ambulances, so we're going to need both other EMS units headed that way as well. Do we have a number of victims? Or an estimated number of victims? Copy. We're getting multiple reports. Dallas 593. Let's go ahead and put both the helicopters in route. Also, let's get Perry Fire there so that we can have landing zone and we can start uh, triage. Uh, Alright, I'm going to pause it here because this is a policy question, a response question. As we know in studying actor-shooter events, Columbine changed the landscape for police responses. Prior to Columbine, um, it would have been a SWAT response. And as our agencies have become more mature, we realize that it's usually the first officers on the scene, right, that are going to respond to stop and neutralize the threat. So my question for you is, does your agency have a single officer response policy? And as a dispatcher, do you know what that policy is? What are your expectations when you're managing and working this call? The other thing I would say, and, and I wanted to circle back just for a moment regarding these um, technology and software systems that we're using. You know, we know that SEERS stands for School Emergency Alert System, radios, School Emergency Alert Response System. I apologize, I forgot the R. It's basically push a button, a dispatch gets alerted that there's an emergency, um, but how much information is being relayed to our dispatchers? You could tell by the unit's response that this is what they need to know, right? And... I love the idea that they're calling out and directing for resources, but what's our capacity and dispatch to fulfill that? Let's continue the audio as we listen to some of the fire dispatching. Can you reserve a helicopter for me? How many patients do we have on screen? Unknown at this time, we have two in our truck, reports of multiple inside. Dallas, has Polk County been advised to advise all the hospitals of a possible mass casualty incident? Copy, we're calling them now. Middle school has been uh, cleared. Um, officers are doing a secondary sweep. That's why we've got triage area 
currently, and he's advising no other incoming units need to come into the school right now. I am in uh, command of EMS Transport. We believe that we have our most critical out. And there you hear sort of the arc of the beginning to nearly the end of that whole process was about an hour long. I just want to sum it up uh, at the end um, when they were talking about the triage and response. How many trauma centers are in your jurisdictions? Do you know the level of the trauma centers? Are we transporting to the right place? Those are just things for us to know, to um, have maybe in our CAD notes, and really have an understanding of our capabilities in a mass casualty incident. I'd love to hear uh, your feedback and whatever questions you have, so make sure you drop them down in the comments and I'll be sure to respond. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, I'm excited to have Mandy Runnels as our guest for today's episode. Mandy, thank you for spending some time with us on the on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I want to introduce uh, you to the audience. Uh, Mandy um, was a uh, you started as a and you didn't start in 911. You started somewhere else in the department. I did. Where did you start? I actually started in records and warrants when I was 18 years old. And then when, and then how long were you in records before you went to dispatch? About four years. Oh, nice. And you're in your career at Riverside County Sheriff's Department as a dispatcher. You were a dispatcher, a, a CTO, uh, you promoted to supervisor and then manager. And for those that aren't, aren't uh, familiar with Southern California, Riverside County is in the Inland Empire. It's a pretty large county. Does it Riverside? Does it stretch all the way to Arizona? Yeah, it's a, it through to Blythe right there at the Arizona border. Yeah. Okay. And how long were you with the Sheriff's Department? 17 and a half years. And I'm excited to talk about the new part of, of your career and the transition um, because there is life after 911. In, in transitioning. So could you tell us a little bit about your new role at Menifee Police Department? Yeah, so I made the decision to apply for a manager position at Menifee Police Department and um, got hired in August of 2023 as their police records manager. And I have loved every minute of it. Um, I'm also a dispatch liaison, so I get to keep my foot in both worlds, which I think has been perfect for me. Um, so kind of going back to my roots from when I was 18 and started and getting to blend my love for dispatch and getting to do both worlds has been super fulfilling for me. Yeah, it's a wonderful synthesis because uh, there's such a, a nexus between records and dispatch. It's often overlooked in departments. Um, and, and sort of speaking about that and our civilian um, umbrella as records or dispatch, and being a leader in, in both areas, um, I want to pick your brain just a little bit about where you see the state of leadership for our, our public safety agencies specific to civilian oversight. Like, where do you, where do you think we're doing really well? And what are, what are areas where we could improve? You know, I think we're doing really well right now in the Department of Listening. I have had the privilege of speaking to many different leaders, you know, from both the dispatch and the record side of the house, and leaders are listening now, where before I feel like it was more of just a suck it up, do your job, don't come to me with your complaints, like I have enough to do, and we've now shifted into 
saying like, okay, what, what could make your work life better? How, what does a work home life balance look like to you? We're starting to really tap into the needs of the employees. Do we have it right yet? No, you know, because we're just barely starting to kind of break down those walls and realize that our priorities need to shift in, in the leadership role. And so I definitely see us doing that well. We're asking the right questions for sure. So what trends do you see for that when it comes to work-life balance? Is it focused on scheduling? Is it focused on wellness resources? Or what what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, and, and just from the agencies that I've gotten to speak with, they're starting to get creative with scheduling. You know, they're starting to try and make different schedulings to be able to work with the you know, parents who have kids who have to schedule daycare. And, um, you know, there was also a time where it was like, well, your schedule will change and you're only allowed to work this part of the day and you have to do days and graves. And you start seeing people now where they're letting them stay on grades if that works better for their childcare or they're letting them work a specific side of the week because they're trying to go back to school and get their degree. And so you have more of that leniency trying to make it work um, with scheduling for sure. Are there any particular schedules that you're you're hearing about that are really catching fire that are working for agencies? I don't think we have it totally figured out yet. I think it's a case by case right now. It's, I think every agency has their own personality and their own needs. And so I don't really think that we can give a blanket answer to that because I really think it just depends on knowing your people. Yeah, I, I would agree with that a thousand percent. And, and part of that leadership and your journey is your president of Calnina. And that is a very huge accomplishment. So congratulations on being voted uh, by your peers to the Calnina uh, executive board. And I would really like to take a few moments to talk about the work that you're doing in Sacramento and the legislative things. Are, are you uh, okay talk sharing that with us? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's been something that's ignited in me that I didn't even realize was a big passion. Um, being on Calnina and then being put on the, the legislative committee and being able to work with lobbyists and go up to Sacramento and sit and speak to the legislators and tell them about the stories and um, share stories of events and dispatchers and what they've gone through and their wellness and mental health and how it needs to be a priority. Um, it's kind of lighted this fire in me that I didn't even know was in there. And it's been one of my most fulfilling um, ventures yet within my career. So uh, we are actively just up in Sacramento wanting to make our name, you know, our industry be at the forefront of their priorities because it really isn't, right? And we started with just wanting to build those relationships and, and I truly believe that our organization was a big uh, role in getting California um, passing to where we are now first responders within the state of California. Um, and the work's not done. We're now going to try and pass bills to provide us with mental health benefits, PTSD benefits, um, because you know, you, you're well versed in that, that they don't recognize PTSD in the world of dispatch and that's you know, unfortunate. And you know, getting into what retirement benefits look like for us, and those are all things that we are strategizing now, and really just trying to 
create those relationships and educate the legislators on what we are going through as an industry. It's really exciting to hear that there's such movement and, and leadership and visionary leadership that's occurring on behalf of 911 first responders. And, and I would piggyback and ask, for those that are boots on the ground, our line level dispatchers, what is the most effective or efficient way that they can become involved in, in the process, involved in their career? Well, those are two real loaded questions. <laughs> uh, involved in the process for legislation is really, you know, for... Is it becoming a Calnina member? Yes. For speaking for the Calnina perspective, it's, you know, look, ask your agency to get a group membership to Calnina. Ask your agency to send you to these conferences where we are educating you on the laws and what we're doing and the work that we're doing. Um, and then seeing those emails, we're constantly pushing out emails, asking for support. We did letters of um, uh, support we sent out last year to get sent to the governor just to show support on what we were trying to accomplish and just being active in that. We also are really active on social media. Um, Calnina 911 is our uh, social media on all platforms and just I, I I'm the one that runs our Instagram and my counterpart runs Facebook and we're constantly posting things and um, putting links up and bills just to keep all of our members educated on what's going on. You know, I, I appreciate that. And, and it's, as everyone knows, Nina is a national association and they work very well uh, with their sister agents uh, association, APCO. So if you're in the other 49 states, you also have access to Nina and or APCO. And I think the message would be the same. Really, become a member, become involved. Um, there are different committees, different projects you can work on. I think that would be the overall message. Yeah, we um, collaborate with APCO and the Northern um, Organization NAPCO. And last year we collaborated on our first ever 911 Goes to Sacramento, and we plan on doing that again this year in May. So. Um, that's exciting. Uh, we actually have our first planning committee this meeting this week, so we're excited to get started on this year's event. And, you know, yeah, just getting involved. Calnina is, for the first time ever, and I'm happy to, to announce that uh, this year we're asking for an advisory committee. We're going to be getting members to help us with what they want to see taught at our conference, the topics they want to see pushed through, what their that's ideas wonderful. moving forward is, so that there's, um, you know, input from the boots on the ground. That's awesome. That's wonderful. And, and I want to segue just a little bit and ask about from the records perspective, are there, are there national associations for records? I know in California, um, there's CCUG or CCUG, right? California Clutch User Group. Um, what from, from records, what momentum or things could our amazing records staff do? So for records, there's the CLEARS organization, and they're pretty much what Calnina is on the records side of the house. Um, and I had the honor of attending and speaking at their conference this past year, and um, it's an amazing group as well, and they're fighting for the same things for professional staff, and they keep um, everybody up to date on the new laws regarding the Public Records Act and what we can release to the public. And um, so their organization has been fantastic. and. One of the things that I'm also proud of is just this past year, I was able to start collaborating with their president and start talking to them. And I actually invited them to come to Calmina because we do have 
efforts that we're both fighting for the same things when it comes to professional staff. And so it was really interesting to see that we might actually do better in joining the combined forces. So that's something that's also in the talks a little bit. Wonderful. I appreciate you uh, spending time with me today. I do have a very odd question, though. But since we're since we're all speaking to like-minded individuals, you know when you when you watch podcasts, people often ask questions like, "If you were a tree, what tree would you be?" You know things like that. Okay. But the question I have for you, and don't overthink it. Oh man! <laughs> if you were a type code, what would it be? A type code. Yep. Armed and dangerous. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that at all. <laughs> I appreciate your time, Mandy. It was wonderful speaking with you. I look forward to watching your, your journey in this profession. So thank you so very much. I appreciate you so much, Kim. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you for being here for the inaugural Kim Turner podcast. Whew. That's over. It's done. But I would love to see you in class. If you know me in California, you know we do a lot of exciting 911 training from actor shooter to leadership to managing generations and recruitment and retention. As a matter of fact, episode number two will be about recruitment and retention. I look forward to having this conversation and learning more about you. Feel free to click subscribe and don't forget to hit us on the website thekimturner.com. Stay safe and stay well.